This mini-series on fasting, questions about Lent gave uh, origin to this city, this series. Now we are in that period that some Christians call Lent, that is often celebrated by fasting or by abstaining from some luxury, some comfort, some something. Uh, Lent is not a biblical festival, it's not a biblical feast, it's not... Anything of the, the uh, like that. So I'm not super sure. As a matter of fact, I think right now I, I think that Christians shouldn't practice Lent. Uh, it's not a biblical thing, but it's not. Uh, thus says the Lord uh, there. But the Bible does talk about fasting. And uh, so this gives an opportunity to, for us to consider uh, the subject of, of fasting. Now, last week you considered, we considered Matthew 6 verses 16 through 18, where Jesus teaches concerning fasting. Now tonight, we'll look at two other passages, Lord willing, that will throw more light into the subject. Either that or we're just going to muddy all together. So one of the two uh, we'll do tonight, Lord willing. There are three resources I want to mention. One is uh, a book by John Piper called A Hunger for God. You can get that for free as a PDF on DesiringGod.org. Uh, the other two are um, Habits of Grace by David Mathis. Uh, every family was given one a copy of that this week. It, it has a little chapter on fasting. And then the third one is Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Don Whitney. That's a classic uh, these days. Um, and he also addresses fasting there. So these three resources would be good. Uh, for you to take a look at as you think of fasting. Now, just a quick overview of, never mind, there are the three resources, a quick overview of where we've gone so far, the what, the why, and the how. And what, what, is, what is fasting? Well, at first, that, great, that question might seem easy to answer, right? Not eating. That's what fasting is. That's what I, I had to do Saturday when I went to get my blood drawn, because they wanted to measure all the different things that they needed to measure without any food on board. But as we're going to see in a moment, there's more to what fasting is than just not eating. So not eating is involved with it, but it's not all that there is. Now, what is the why of fasting? There's some very important second-level reasons for fasting, but the foundational reason for fasting is captured really well in Piper's title for his book. We fast because we hunger for God. That, that's really the, the basic idea for fasting. We fast because we hunger and we thirst after God. Isn't that how um, we are described in Matthew 5, 6? One of the Beatitudes that describes the Christian, it says that blessed are those who hunger... And thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Isn't that what David says is true of himself as a representative follower of God in Psalm 63, verse 1, when David says, O God, you are my God, early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And that's what really what uh, fasting is, is, is showing, that we hunger, that we thirst after God. Uh, and remember that we're, we're, not just getting rid, we're not getting rid of something bad when you're fasting. Uh, Piper says that uh, fasting is not the forfeit of the evil, but of the good. 
We're giving something that we like, giving up something that we like. We deprive ourselves from the good because we desire the best. That's, that's why we fast. And how? Well, in humility, as to the Lord, not for the praise of men. So that summarizes everything that we saw last week. So t- this evening, we're going to t- try to add two passages. One is Matthew 9. The other one's going to be Isaiah 58. But let's start with Matthew chapter 9. Let's read verses 14 through 17. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we, uh, do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Remember, we saw the Pharisees fast at least twice a week. Uh, a second century document said they fasted on t- Mondays and Thursdays. And that when they did it, they really made sure everybody knew that they were, they were fasting. Verse 15, and, and Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the day will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put the new wine into the old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So the question brought to Jesus tells us that his disciples, and presumably Jesus, did not follow a schedule for religious fasts as the Pharisees did and as the disciples of John did. If you read it, they are surprised that they are not fasting, that they're not following the, the uh, dictated schedule for fasting that the, the Pharisees and the disciples of John followed. Jesus says that uh, while it, um, he is with them, they don't have to fast. Instead, they must rejoice. This implies that fasting has something to do with longing for the presence of Jesus. Because it says, if you're with me, you don't fast. If you're without me, then you go ahead and fast. So there is an appropriate time for his disciples to fast. And that, that time is when he is not with them anymore. By the way, this is, only, there's, this is the, only, the only other passage in the Bible that Jesus himself teaches about fasting. You know, Matthew 6, and then here in Matthew 9. So the question is, when is the time that Jesus will not be with them, right? Because that's the time where they're supposed to fast. So while, while the bridegroom is with them, they don't fast. But when the bridegroom goes away, then you fast. So when is that time that you're supposed to fast? When is it that he's not with them? For a while, I thought that this is a reference. I thought that this was a reference to the three days that Jesus was in the tomb, and I thought that because one, one, of the first, one of the first things that Jesus did when he met with them after the resurrection was to feed them. I don't know if you remember, all the accounts in the upper room and then the Sea of Galilee all involved them eating. The one who had been taken away by wicked hands, as Acts 2 says, had, had come back to them. And then he soon after that sent the other comforter who was just like him, who was going to stay with them forever. So the promise that he made in the Great Commission... Matthew 28, 20, 
that he's going to be with them always is there. So if this is correct, then there is no need for Christians to fast because Christ is always present with them. And we rejoice in the idea that Christ is always present with us. The only problem with that interpretation is that it doesn't make sense of verses 16 and 17. The, 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 the cloth thing and the wine thing and, and so on. Uh, how does that match? No, how, how does it explain verse 17? And that kept on bothering me. Uh, I, I like the idea that we didn't have to fast. That would be great. But it doesn't really work for the whole passage. Now, so what do we do here? Well, I think that these two verses point out two things at least about fasting and about the relationship of the new covenant to the old covenant. In Christ, there are things that have changed from the old to the new covenant, right? Uh, Christ fulfilled some things, and we don't do them, that the, the people of God under the old covenant, before the cross and resurrection did, that we don't do anymore. We don't fast on the day of atonement anymore, wondering if our sins will be forgiven, because we know that our high priest stands for us day and night, pleading on our behalf. We saw that in 1 John chapter 2. We don't fast in anticipation of the Messiah because He has come already. So we don't do that anymore. So it's different. But in Christ, there are some things that remain the same. What Christ brings is new and better, but still some of the same things. For example, what Christ brings is new and better cloth, but it's still cloth. You know, notice that it doesn't say that uh, you don't sew a different type of material, you sew cloth. It's a new cloth, but you still are sewing it. Christ is not bringing, uh, Christ is bringing a new and better wine, but still wine. So there's some continuities in between what the saints did before the cross and what we do today. So the disciple that the, the, the fast that his disciples practice is still a fast, but still it's a, a new and better one. So, as it were, as a new covenant fast, not, look, not wondering if our sins are going to be forgiven, but knowing that our sins are forgiven and desiring more of the one who forgave our sins. It also points to the fact that we live between times, the already and not yet. Our Redeemer has already come and has established His kingdom. We are living right now in His kingdom and He is with us. But it's a mediated kingdom. The king is not here physically with us. So we long for the day that our king will return, a return that has been guaranteed by the cross. So we fast, but we fast in the full assurance that our king is with us. And yet not physically yet. So that's the yet, our king with us, but not physically. That's the, the, the king with us, that's the already. Not physically, that's the not yet. And we're longing for that day when he's going to be with us physically. So I think that's, how, that's what it means that we fast while the bridegroom is away. It's not selling to the three days of the, between the cross and the resurrection, but the days between his ascension and his return, that we long for that that day. Any questions before we continue? 
Right, the second passage is Isaiah 58. You turn your Bibles there to Isaiah 58. That's the happy part of Isaiah. Starting in chapter 40, we have a much happier Isaiah than we, did, the, we had in chapters 1 through 38. And Isaiah 58, 1 through 12, is much like Matthew 6, 16 through 18, that we saw last week. He's correcting the practice of the people as far as uh, fasting went. The prophet is to confront them, the people of God, with their self-righteousness. Look at verses 1 through 3. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. So the prophets really to speak really loud and to everybody to hear the sins of God's people. And that's what that's happening, that's what's happening here in chapter 58. It's a proclamation. And it's focused on two sins. The way they were fasting and the way they were keeping the Sabbath. Uh, and, and so these are two things that the God was very concerned in this passage. In verse 2, yet they seek. So here the prophet is going to to scream like a trumpet about the sins of God's people, and yet the people will behave in a certain way. Look at verse 2. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They, they ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. God's not saying that these things are true of them. Say that they are acting as if that was true of them. Here, He's about to just tell the whole wide world how sinful they are, how they have not practiced what is right, and yet they say, oh, aren't we the greatest people ever? Look at how obedient we are to the Lord, how great. God is about to bless us because we are so good. And God said, God said, no, you really are missing the point. In verse 3, he says, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? You have, we, why have we afflicted our souls and you take no Notice. So the prophet is confronting them with their self-righteousness. They were fasting and seeking the Lord through their religious observance, but their lives were marked by sin and disobedience. Even their fast was self-righteous. They were doing, they're still doing this. Here, God, I'll do this fast for you so that you become ob- obligated to do something for me. And that's what they're asking there in verse 3. God, we did our part. We fasted. How come you haven't done anything for us? And while fasting, supposedly to the Lord, their lives were completely ruled by their wicked hearts. Look at verses 4 and 5. We actually start in the second half of verse 3. In fact, the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and do not strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? So God's saying, what is it that you're doing? It's not fast, at least not the kind of fast that is acceptable to the Lord. You're just being wicked in your own fasting. They've, as they fasted, they exploited their employees. Look, it said that in verse 3, the second half of verse 3. 
They're say, saying, oh, we're doing this great thing for the Lord, but they were afflicting their servants, their employees. They were, they were being mean to them. They were exploiting them. As they fasted, saying that they were doing this great thing to the Lord, they were fighting among each other in verse 4. Maybe they were a little hangry because they were fasting, but they were fighting with each other in a way they dishonored the Lord. As they were fasting, they were doing a fast that was not to please the Lord, but to look good as a religious person. Now, they are much like the person who comes to church on a Sunday and sings loudly, might even close their eyes to show how into the, the song they are. Um, they nod in agreement uh, to show his, his or her agreement with the sermon and then goes on to live wickedly as if nothing had happened. That's exactly what's going on here. And if you, if you are that person, God says to you, this will not do. You are deceiving yourself if you think that your little Sunday Christianity is anything to be proud of. God is not interested in the appearance of fasting. God is not interested in the appearance of being religious. That's why he says in verse 5, there. He's not interested in, in, in your putting a show for him. Or putting a show for other people. That's a, that is a wickedness from the pit of hell. He's interested in true hearts that are worshiping him from the heart. And, and this passage becomes really important to our study of fasting because here God defines fasting not as the abstention, the abstention from food, but as loving him by serving others. Look at verse 6 and 7. Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to, uh, to undo the heavy burdens, to, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? So flesh goes, flesh, fasting goes beyond just not eating. What are you doing when you're not eating as a service to the Lord? You're serving others. You're loving God by loving others, by serving others. And God says that true fasting is selfless service to others because of God's reign in your heart. That's why just a show for other people to see, you're just deceiving yourself. Because nobody else is being deceived by you. No. God is not going to get deceived by you. He knows your heart. And he's looking for that heart. In verse 9, he says, Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here am I when you serve him from the, from the heart. If you, have, if you take away the yoke from our, your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as a new, the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Why? Because all these things are such great things. Yeah, they are great things. But the point is that they're coming from a heart that is truly worshiping the Lord. And that's why this is acceptable before the Lord. That's why He blesses them that do this kind of fasting. To those who fast in this way, 
Jesus will be the satisfaction of their souls. That's why he says there in verse 11, the Lord, Yahweh, this includes Jesus, will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. So physical fast is, is abstaining from food. And physical fast in abstaining from food is a token of that reign of Christ in our hearts. If Christ is not reigning in our hearts, then it doesn't matter how much you don't eat. That's, that's not what the Bible is talking about. Because God is after your heart. Not after a show. Not after a display. Not after theater. Because he can't be deceived. Any questions before we continue? Okay, so what have we learned so far? We learned that fasting is part of the Christian life as a voluntary discipline as opposed to something that is mandatory like the Lord's Day. Like we all are commanded to be together together on the Lord's Day, and if you don't do that, you're sinning. But fasting is something that we enter voluntarily, even though it's something that we enter voluntarily. We are to do it, but we do it voluntarily. We decide when we're going to do it. It's not going to be a proclamation from the pulpit. It's not going to be a, an imposition uh, from the church or, or others. Okay? We also have learned that fasting is a private exercise which you shouldn't publicize from the rooftop. Like, you don't go, oh, I'm fasting today. I'm so hungry. Look how godly I am because I'm fasting today. We've also have learned that fasting points to the fact that this life now and this world now is not all there is. We're looking for the world to come. We're craving, hungering for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're longing for that day when we are going to dine with our King and see Him face to face. So we forgo food now to meditate on that food. And we've learned that above all, we, fasting goes beyond not eating. Fasting is the total submission to Jesus Christ, of which the occasion of abstaining from food is a token. Fasting really is about the rule of King Jesus in your life. It's really about bringing everything by God's grace captive to Christ Jesus. And I hope that's true of all of us here today. But if it's not, now is the time to bow your knee to Jesus Christ. If Christ is not ruling sovereignly in your heart, if you have not given yourself to Him, now's the time. Because you don't know if you have another second in your life. Now's the time, because you don't know if you're leaving here, you won't die. Now's the time, because you don't know if you're not going to drop dead now in a heart attack. Those two SWAT officers did not think they were going to die when they responded to somewhat of a routine call in Spanaway. And today, this afternoon, the family turned off the equipment so that one of them just slept away and died. You don't, know if that's, you don't know if that's going to be you. So don't delay in giving yourself to Christ. And it is, fasting is just a representation, a token of that, of the sovereignty, the rule of Christ in your heart. <clears throat> All right, so the question remains, what is Christian fasting? What is it we're doing? What is how can we define it? How can we do it? How can we practice it? Because we don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. Remember that the disciples made when he or she is taught to observe all that Christ has commanded. Not just to know, but to observe 
other Christ uh, has commanded. So generally speaking, fasting is abstaining from food with a purpose of seeking the Lord. That's what fasting is. Generally speaking, is abstaining from food with the purpose of seeking the Lord. Now, let me emphasize that food is good. Are you with me with this? Food is good. And we are to rejoice in it. Proverbs, oh, Ecclesiastes says, Every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. Is a gift of God. Now, some of us spend too much time in this verse, and uh, you know, perhaps the detriment of other verses in the Bible. But this is true, and it's important that we understand that food is good. It's also important that we understand that any prohibition to eat because of religious reasons is unbiblical. Any any prohibition says you must not eat this because the Bible forbids. It's unbiblical. It's not true. It's a lie. Okay? Paul is very clear when he says that's a sign, really, of those that are uh, trying to lead you away from Christ. In 1 Timothy 4, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says, What does the Spirit do? Expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received. What are these people doing? They're departing from the faith when they do that. That's the verse. I thought I was throwing there. So we don't abstain from food because food is bad. We abstain from food because food is good. We recognize it as a good gift from God. And we fast to signify that though we appreciate the gift, we are more interested in the giver. Okay? And I want, I'm taking the time to do this, to emphasize this, because not eating can become an idol in itself. And food can be seen as the enemy, as those who, describe, who are described as having anorexia. That, that's not fasting. That is not biblical fasting. That's a sinful attitude towards your own body and towards life in general, towards other people. It's, it could be an, an attempt to manipulate. It could be an attempt to control. The only thing you feel like you can control, but it's not fasting because food is good. And we rejoice in that. Does it make sense to you? So, when you talk about fast, we have, well, we have to talk about this, too, that, that, that food is good. And fasting can be more than abstaining from food as well. For some people, giving up some food is not a big deal. But giving up social media would be a close to destroying their world. I was listening to a podcast today. And uh, it was about a book, uh, a lady that wrote a book for women. Uh, uh, and I was listening to it, and she said that teenage girls today spend, on average, nine hours on social media a day, daily. And that's not for school purposes, just nine hours daily on social media. So uh, that can be more important than food as far as something to, to abstain. For others... 
Abstaining from smoking or having a beer at the end of the day may be a more appropriate fast than abstaining from food. For others yet, abstaining from video games or TV may be more appropriate, a more appropriate fast. For some others, abstaining from being always connected with other people, whatever it be through texting or other means, might be a more, a moment, uh, some time of solitude might be more precious to them to give, giving up being all disconnected, more precious to them than giving up food. So you can see the possibilities are many. Though generally fasting has to do with food, because the principle is we're giving something good because we're hungry for something better, these other things can come into play as well. Just less for tonight. The scriptures also indicate that when we fast, we are abstaining from something we enjoy, and thus is a potential idol, not from things we don't enjoy. So a kid marching into the, the, the kitchen says, I'm giving up salad for Lent, <laughs> when they don't like salad, may not be, right? Now, uh, Nick and I firmly, we have firmly committed to giving up kale, for a season, right? Now, that, that's not really, you know, fasting because, you know, we believe that kale is a result of the fall. You no, know, the weeds that say that, uh, so uh, that's not a big, a big deal there. When we fast, we're saying, Lord, I love this thing, but I love you more. That's really what we're saying when we're fasting. And fasting is not giving us not something simple either. That's just repentance, and that's what we need to do. Right? So giving up something good and righteous and godly for something even better, more of God Himself. So we're starting to see what fasting is. Right? We're starting to understand what we're supposed to do. And Lord willing, then, we'll be able to finish that next uh, Wednesday when we wrap up what, what, what uh, uh, Christian fasting is. And then we also will take a look at what, where, um, by way of review, why we fast, and then um, how do we fast. All right? So that's the plan. Any questions before we close? All right, so let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you're a good God. We thank you that we hunger after you. We thank you that you are worthy of our hungering and thirsting after you. We pray that you give us that great hunger for you, for your Son, for your Spirit. And we pray that nothing that we do would be just for show, but that would be the reflection or the, the abundance of our heart expressing our love for you. We pray now that you dismiss us with your blessings. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.